The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and I am in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? If you'd like to sign up for Chen's letter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list at miningstocks.com. Go to miningstocks.com, put your name on a waiting list, and Chen, uh, and you will be eligible to become a subscriber during the first 10 business days of the next quarter. That would be the first 10 business days of July. Uh, Chen will be accepting uh, a number of new subscribers. You can sign up for my newsletter anytime by going to um, miningstocks.com. And my newsletter is Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And I do think we have an opportunity now. I, I really believe that money is made by buying at the right time. And I have a sense that we are getting very close to a bottom, if we've not already seen it, in the gold shares. I'm extremely optimistic about the gold shares going forward in the second half of this year, in part because Charles Nanner is looking for a bottom. Uh, he has had an excellent track record, not only in gold, but in all manner of markets. He uses cycles, a theory, uh, uh, and analytics to pick uh, the bottoms and tops of various markets and has a masterful record uh, in the past. He did get his uh, subscribers out of gold at 1900 and he is talking about a long time uh, a, a long term buy opportunity in July of this year. Um, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and I want to th- encourage you to send your questions and comments along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can follow me on Twitter under jtaylormedia.com. Um, I want to thank each of you, as I say, for listening to this show, uh, making it one of the most popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors also for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Caden Resources, Canamax Resources, Gold Gold Resources, and Uranium Energy Corporation. Um, Why should we be interested in gold? After all, we've had a three-year bear market. I mean, 
why in the world would you want to buy something that's on a downtrend? Well, first of all, I would say that it looks to me like gold is bottoming. It has uh, stopped going down. Uh, we've had, it seems to me, almost a, a, what looks like a perfectly formed uh, or almost nearly completed head and shoulders, reverse head and shoulders pattern, which is a v very bullish pattern. But all the fundamentals are definitely in place. Uh, for uh, a much higher gold price. Well, 99% of all the supposedly smart, really smart Wall Street money pros, I think, have zero understanding of gold because they, the anti-gold propaganda and pro-Keynesian communist crap that they have been fed have poisoned their minds to the truth. The thieves who own and control the Federal Reserve Bank for their purpose of essentially privatizing the gains and socializing the losses, getting you and me to pay for their losses, as we saw in 2008, 2009. Well, those losses will, those operations by the Federal Reserve will inevitably lead us into much worse trouble. In fact, that's what's happening to us without any doubt in my mind. Uh, and, and these are inevitable trends because of the reckless lending policies. You see, if they don't have to worry about their losses, they can socialize them. Why not go out and make very risky loans and engage in all kinds of financial engineering that end up uh, being weapons of mass destruction, as, uh, as Warren Buffett called uh, derivatives. And that's what they've done, and that's what they're continuing to do. And if you listen to David Stockman and other people who I think are really understand what's going on in the economy because of their understanding of what free markets are and what the absence of free markets do, then you understand that we are getting digging ourselves into deeper and deeper trouble. In fact, uh, the housing market is looking more and more like it did in the past. It looks to me like we're heading into the same kind of problems, setting ourselves up for another massive uh, debacle in the housing market and all manner of other markets as well. But there are limits to the evil these guys can do through their clandestine wealth-grabbing schemes, and I think those limits cannot be very far away given the decline in the American economy, which is much, much worse than the policymakers uh, will admit. Uh, this, I think, is very important. And just looking at John Williams' recent missive that came out last week, uh, in, he's talking about the economy turning down, and I'd like to just read a part of what John said. Uh, he said uh, w uh, he, he said that business slowdown downturn was evident in the initial headline estimates of the first quarter 2014 GDP, with an annualized headline growth of 0.11%. As the patterns of headline growth in economic reporting continue to slow and turn down, financial market speculation increasingly should shift towards a renewed or deepening recession. That circumstance, in turn, in confluence with other fun, uh, fundamental issues, should place mounting and massive selling pressure on the U.S. dollar, as well as potentially resurrect elements of the 2008 panic. Williams went on to say the fundamental issues threatening the dollar again include, but are not limited to, the U.S. government not addressing its long-term solvency issues, monetary malfeasance by the Federal Reserve seeking to provide liquidity to troubled banking systems and to U.S. Treasury. And with uh, a current pace of 70%, 70% monetization of effective net issuance of public federal debt. In other words, the Fed has to print 
uh, of all the money that's created to buy the United States debt. That is that is a, that is an alarming rate uh, that the Fed would have to print any money. Of course, if it allowed interest rates to go where they should, they wouldn't have to print any money. But because they're suppressing the interest rates and another just another way of robbing from the savers and rewarding the spendthrifts, uh, this is just an insane an immoral policy of the Federal Reserve without any doubt about it. But it is causing trouble. Uh, Mounting domestic and global crisis of confidence is a dysfunctional U.S. government. Mounting global uh, political pressures contrary to U.S. interests and a severely damaged U.S. economy, which never recovered from the post-2008, is turning down again. Um, and so this is where I think we're going to be, uh, I think, later this year, a good reason why uh, Nanner's cycles suggest that gold is heading up. We can try to look. And Nanner doesn't really look at the fundamental reasons. He's just strictly focused on what is happening and, uh, and uh, in, in terms of his models and his technical analysis and what is driving the markets. He doesn't really care. All he knows is that we're going to see a bottoming out, a bottoming cycle, and then a long-term buy cycle. And it looks to me as if Nanner's thinking something in 12 to 15 months of a major uh, upside for gold starting the second half of this year. Well, let's talk a little bit about today's show. And today we are going to be talking to a number of people that uh, have been with us before. Uh, I've titled today's show, The Impact of a Rising War Cycle on the Dollar, Bonds, Equities, and Gold. And uh, joining me for the first time today, Larry Edelson. He'll be with me as soon as we come back from the break. Uh, He'll be with me during the first hour. And then Axel Merck, David Jensen, and Daniel McAdams will join me again in the second hour. And that's aired exclusively at jtaylormedia.com. That's jaytaylormedia.com. Well, Larry has recently turned extremely bullish on gold and gold shares, and that's after a two-year bearish stance, uh, and uh, he relates what he sees happening in gold in uh, no small part to war cycles. He is a a student of war cycles and unfortunately uh, believes that we are heading back up into a major uh, 53-year cycle towards more and more wars, unfortunately, and this actually uh, uh, is uh, in agreement with Charles Nanner, who also tracks war cycles. Uh, War cycles are not. Axel Merck isn't sure. Um, that that will be bullish for the dollar, but he does uh, believe that the reduced correlation between the dollar and the U.S. Uh, 10-year U.S. Treasury assets uh, suggests that dollar that the dollar is losing its reserve status. Uh, and as usual, David Jensen, also uh, joining me in the second hour, will provide insights into the connection of geopolitics and the precious metals markets. And this week, David uh, has some thoughts uh, not only on the GOFO rate, which he's reporting is extremely bullish for gold, but he has something to tell us also about a very uh, large Dubai gold refinery that's putting in in place and interestingly enough he he draws some parallels with the uh, what was called the blood money uh, that was supposedly coming from small miners uh, of diamonds in Africa and the De Beers put out this propaganda to try to drive people away from buying diamonds from competitive producers very interesting uh, theory and David is applying some of this now to um, to the gold markets where the same people that are trying to monopolize and 
the gold markets are suggesting that uh, we shouldn't uh, be paying attention to the Dubai and we shouldn't be buying gold from Dubai because it's fraudulent gold. Anyway, uh, David will tell us more about that in the second hour. Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will, of course, update us uh, with his usual unbiased view of the Ukrainian conflict and other issues. Uh, and um, so with a new bull market about to emerge in gold and gold mining shares, um, I will be also hoping to pass along some ideas in the closing moments of today's show in the second hour about some uh, gold stocks that I think are extremely exciting. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because as soon as we come back, I'll be with Larry Edelson. Don't go away. I'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE Market Listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE Listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Larry Edelson. Larry uh, is one of the foremost experts on gold and precious metals. Uh, He is the editor of Real Wealth Report, uh, Power Portfolio, and Gold and Silver Trader. Larry has called ups and downs in the gold market time and again, and as a result, he is often called upon by the media for his investing views. Larry has been featured on Bloomberg, Reuters, CNBC, the New York Times and the New York Sun and he got his start on Wall Street as a trader and after a, a couple of years there he struck out on his own after two decades following the markets uh, t- virtually 24-7 Larry became a private investor and eventually joined the Weiss Group uh, in addition uh, to overseeing three premium services he contributes to the daily email newsletter Money and Markets which I enjoy very much. Uh, Larry has his uh, educational background. He uh, received a degree from Columbia University uh, a few years ago, and uh, so his experience, and I've been reading him for many years, really it's a real pleasure to welcome Larry. Thank you for joining me today, Larry. 
Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Jay. You know, I've read your Money and Markets missives over the years, and I, I really, uh, it, it really is good to talk to you in person. One of the things that I've really appreciated about the Weiss missives overall over the years is their independence. Not only does Martin Weiss and his writers provide ideas outside of the mainstream, but there is a diversity of opinion within the group, which I like. You know, someone once said that if everyone is thinking alike, then no one is thinking. And it seems to me that's what we see more and more uh, in the group group speak that we're seeing in America these days. So uh, much of what is published by Weiss certainly isn't what you're going to hear group speak and hear it in the mainstream media, which is really what I think makes uh, your work and and many of the other writers uh, for Martin Weiss's group very valuable. You know, one of the ideas that I picked up from you a couple of uh, a couple of your recent missives uh, is the cycles, uh, war cycles. It's something that Charles Nanner, as an analyst that I follow, has talked about. Uh, it's a very disturbing idea that we, we could be coming on to a new cycle of increasing wars. It seems like we've had continuous little wars going around the globe nonstop. Um, and, and I want to ask you about that, why you think we're heading into a new cycle of war, uh, war cycle. But before we get to that, I have to tell my listeners that you are really talking to me from Thailand. And I, I know that having you've lived in the United States most of your life, why Thailand? Have you? Uh, is there something about war cycles? Do you feel more safe in Thailand, or, or why have you chosen Thailand? I mean, Mark Faber, who we've talked to, uh, is there. I've known some other people. Uh, I think Richard Duncan is over there. A lot of people uh, that we've had on the show. But what attracted you to Thailand? Well, it's a long story, um, but I'll make it short. I was traveling to Asia, Jay, uh, from 1999 on. I started coming to Asia really because I knew that Asia was the up-and-coming uh, corner of the globe. Uh, so I was traveling through China, through Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Hong Kong, etc. And uh, I was here often for months at a time. I would make Bangkok my home base because it's so centrally located. Mm-hmm. Uh, two hours you can get anywhere uh, mm-hmm. in Asia. And uh, over time, I, I grew uh, uh, to fall in love with Asia and Thailand in particular, the culture there. And uh, I ended up, you know, my kids uh, in the States were grown, so I decided that Asia was, you know, continuing to grow so much that uh, I just decided to be here. And mm-hmm. it's been really refreshing because I get to see Asia, and I also get to see Europe and the United States from a totally different point of view. And that is so helpful when you're uh, in, uh, you know, investing in the markets to step outside the box mm-hmm. and take a look at things from the outside in instead of the inside out. Oh, that makes a lot of sense because we're constantly (laughs) bombarded by the mainstream press here day in, day out with propaganda. And it would be interesting, I think, to live outside of the country for quite a while. I've never done that, but uh, certainly just getting away for a week or two sometimes to Portugal, where my wife is from, and traveling around Europe gives you a little bit of a different perspective, that's for sure. Sure Um, Mm -hmm. You know... um, so let's talk about this war cycle now. What what makes you think that we're heading into something more, uh, more sinister or more severe in in wars? Uh, certainly, we see things heating up in Ukraine. It seems to me as if we're looking at sort of a new Cold War, if you will, um, rising tensions between, say, the BRIC countries and and the Anglo-American uh, Empire. I like to call it. Uh, but but tell us what you see, and I know that you've been a student of the cycles of war cycles for some time. But what what are you seeing now that really leads you to believe we're into a new heated era of wars? 
Well, I'll start with the technical uh, aspect. Uh, I hope uh, not to bore your audience, but I've been studying the war cycles since uh, college days. I used mm-hmm. to study as a cultural anthropologist conflict amongst uh, primitive societies and, and economies. And there is a defined set of cycles of conflict, much like, you know, we, we all know that the seasons change, there's day and night. Um, we, we know cycles exist in nature. They also exist in the rise and fall of societies. They mm-hmm. also exist in conflict. And what I discovered in the early 1980s through working with the Foundation for the Study of Cycles that has a vast database on conflict that was developed by um, Raymond Wheeler, uh, another anthropologist, climatologist, mm-hmm. uh, many years ago, is that there's three cycles that are very, very accurate and determining uh, when society will get into a mode of conflict. Those cycles are, there's an 8.8-year cycle, there's basically a uh, twice out of 17.6-year cycle, and then there's the granddaddy, what I call the granddaddy of the cycle, which is three revolutions of the 17-year of the cycle, which becomes a 51-year cycle. Mm. Now, I've tracked these things back to Roman times, okay, to, be, to B.C., and... Um, they're uncannily accurate. Really? Now, I started writing about the current setup of these cycles way back in, in 2009. And the way they're setting up now, Jay, is fascinating. All three components, that is the granddaddy 51-year cycle, the 17-year fractal of that cycle, and the 8.6-year cycle, are converging in a way that we have not seen since the mid 1800s. Wow! So this They're is a granddaddy. Together, it ex- this is this is the the granddaddy action. The 51 year cycle and its components are coming together between 2013 and 2020. I started warning everyone that 2013 would be the upturn in the war cycles. And we started to see right off the bat in 2013 some acceleration. We had the Boston bombing. We had uh, uh, incidents occur all over the world. And, of course, this year the cycles have gone vertical. They've ramped up even more rapidly than I expected. And I'm referring to the latest, of course, which is uh, Russia, uh, Europe, Ukraine, United States. Um, I didn't expect international conflict until 2016, 17, 18 later in the cycle um, but here we are just uh, two years into the uh, eight year ramping up of these cycles and we're already at a top level domain with uh, a new Cold War so it's quite quite amazing to me to see these things uh, move into gear Yeah. well I guess then that begs the question what is what impact are these cycles going to have on the markets that we watch um, mm-hmm. Let's say let's let's talk about the equity and debt markets. Debt and equity markets. One of the things that is is remarkable to me when I look at the charts, I see in the United States, for example, debt is growing almost exponentially, and income is growing in a linear fashion, if at all. That's even debatable if real income is growing. If you buy uh, some of the inflation work uh, of shadow stats, it would suggest that we've been in contraction and never really have come out of a recession. But when you have Absolutely. this continuous growth of in, of debt, I like to say that debt is the raw material from which money is created in a fiat fractional reserve system, and 
so debt is just you know there doesn't seem to be any end to it and these and and the people that are policymakers don't seem to think there's any problem with it and yet it seems so fundamental if debt is growing the whole system seems to be becoming more and more insolvent and yet in spite of that insolvency we continue to see the US treasury rates decline uh is that a mark of confidence are people have people gone mad or or, or what and and how does this war cycle play into the debt and equity markets well, that's a very good question. I think there's two answers to it, and I don't mean to uh, sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. There's the short-term answer, and there's the uh, longer-term impact. Um, yeah, everything you said, Jay, is 100% true. We're, you know, we've come a, a, a debt, hollow debt-based uh, world, and that's imploding, and it's going to change, and it's going to be nasty going through and living through it all. Um, in the short term, the war cycles are, are doing... Um, in my opinion, they're still causing a little bit of a flight to safety in the sense that there's some money going uh, recently into the government bond market, U.S. Treasury market. So we've seen a little bit of a decline in interest rates lately. But if we go back to 2012, rates actually bottomed uh, two years ago, and they're slowly heading higher. These things are like freighters. You know, you can't turn a freighter on a dime. These markets, especially markets as big as, let's say, equities and uh, sovereign debt, mm-hmm. they're not going to turn on a dime. Longer term, and I'm talking over the next several years leading into 2020, 2021, the war cycles are going to have a very damaging impact on sovereign debt. They're going to hit the bond markets hard and cause interest rates to go even higher because part of the problem with the war cycles, Jay, is that there's a conflict going on between the public sector and the private sector. Mm-hmm. Okay, the between government and the people. Right. That's what this particular setup of the war cycles is all about. It's about revolution, and right. we're seeing revolution unfold in Ukraine, uh, Turkey, uh, Middle East, certainly, uh, even in parts of Europe, uh, where that's the next. Uh, phase of the war cycles. Uh, the setup is coming to the United States. Uh, the gap between the rich and poor has never been wider. Um, and, you know, government is the target this time. And that's, it's a clash. There's two parts of the war cycle. There's the domestic portion where we're seeing civil and domestic unrest, such as Ukraine, parts of Europe. And then there's the international conflict side of the cycles, which is you know, where it can really get ugly if politicians repeat the mistakes of the past, which I'm sure they will, um, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But uh, as far as the government debt markets go, short term, you know, it's a little bit bullish for the Treasury bond market. But, you know, I wouldn't own sovereign debt in Europe or the United States with a 10-foot pole. The only sovereign debt I would own is in, you know, some healthy uh, Asian economies. Um Interest rates are heading higher. The impact of the war cycles is going to be lower bond prices and rising interest rates. Now, equities are a completely different story. So, uh, the war cycles, let me just quickly say, I don't want to uh, talk too much, but the war cycles are going to turn a lot of what investors think about the markets upside down. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay, so uh, clearly they're going to have to print more money to pay for war. At the same time, mm-hmm. at the same time, you have war. Uh, you know, kills the productive sector of of the of, of the markets everywhere. Basically, I mean, it's going to hurt 
production globally anyway on balance, right? So you have less supply and you have more demand in terms of um, uh, money units of of currency that are being prevented. Seems to me this should be very very inflationary. Ultimately. Longer term, yes. Ultimately, yes. It's gonna. I think it's gonna take time for inflation to work its way back. Believe it or not. I know I'm not. Um, I'm not very popular for those views. Um, I do believe we will see, you know, much higher inflation down the road. I mm-hmm. don't think we'll see hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason for that is there is an aspect to today's uh, situation in Europe and the United States, especially, um, that is deflationary. Mm-hmm. That's escalating. The governments of uh, Europe and the United States, Europe and Washington, are raising taxes. Right. They're making no bones about it. That's disinflationary. Uh, they're engaging in confiscatory methods, especially in Europe. Yep. Uh, we saw the Cyprus event last mm-hmm. year, um, where that you know, if it, and and now it's been uh, legalized uh, for all of Europe. If another bank fails and you're a depositor with over a hundred thousand euros, your money is going to be bailed in. Right. You're going to lose your money. Um, that's disinflationary. Uh, we're seeing, you know, widespread tracking of everyone's money on Europe side and the Internal Revenue Service here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's very hard to move money overseas or open a business overseas for any legitimate reason these days because exactly. they're hunting down every penny they can find. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany's doing it. France is doing it. Obama's doing it. Those are offsetting the inflation effects of printing money because those, those. Government policies are disinflationary. Yeah. I would, I would like to also ask you, Larry, if you don't think that this whole issue of, of debt uh, growing so so you know exponentially compared to income and the system itself is insolvent, the whole global system, I would argue, almost is insolvent with debt that cannot be serviced except through the creation of new, of new debt money. Uh, it, it, totally seems, it's, it seems to me in that way that, that the system itself is deflationary. If they stepped away, if the policymakers stepped away and stopped printing money to, tomorrow, wouldn't we have one heck of a, de, of a depression, a, def, a deflationary depression? Yes. Yeah. So it I think it, in my thinking is the, under, the underlying uh, force is deflationary, actually, depression, a deflationary Correct. depression. But, and you th- the things you mentioned as well, in addition, uh, clearly the governments are taking money away from individuals from the private sector. You mentioned a, bit, a moment ago that when you have war, you're basically looking at the private s- government versus the private sector, essentially, aren't you? Yeah, uh, you know, there's two levels. You can have uh, the government against the private sector, which is what we just talked about, basically, going yeah. after taxes, confiscatory mm-hmm. methods, etc. Uh, and you can have it in the form of uh, massive corruption, uh, such as we've seen in Ukraine, the people who rose up against the corruption. Uh, and then you can have governments against governments, which is, you know, the third level, which is what we're starting to see, unfortunately, between Russia, Europe, and the United States. Yeah. So the war cycles permeate everything, but they can do strange things to the markets. For example, I am extremely bullish on the U.S. equity market long term. Mm-hmm. Okay, the reason for that is the U.S. equity market, from a fundamental point of view, uh, the reason is the U.S. equity market is... Can, is and can become a safe haven in times of geopolitical crisis. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the only market that's liquid enough, big enough, and free enough from confiscatory fears to handle the amounts of money that's going to pour out of Europe, that's already pouring out of Russia and Eastern Europe, and provide some sense of rate of return. Gold will also be a beneficiary, obviously, but it's not large enough a market to handle trillions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And we also simultaneously will have its, you know, money coming out of sovereign debt in Europe and sovereign debt in the United States. It's got to go somewhere. It can't all go into gold and it can't all go under the mattress. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. equity, which is one of the reasons the U.S. equity market is so strong as it is. Yeah. It, you know, it's defying almost everybody's expectations. The mm-hmm. reason is it's a major recipient of international and domestic flight capital. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if it's got to go somewhere, does that not have some impact then on commodity prices? It has to go into stuff. If it can't all go into, uh, it can't all go into gold, as you say. It goes into mm-hmm. real estate, perhaps goes into other yep. uh, hard assets. But mm-hmm. I noticed in your most recent, uh, one of your most recent missives, you talked about the dollar being stronger. You're looking for a stronger dollar and a rise in the gold price. The two don't seem to be uh, usually in sync, but. But how do you reconcile that? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, historically, the last time that we had Europe in such bad shape and we had the war cycles kicking in in a similar fashion to today, although not, not quite, as, quite as violent as I expect them to be uh, this go-around, was between 1932 and 1937. A few people understand the whole story of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. In 1932, 17 countries in Europe went bankrupt. They reneged on their debts, and they collapsed. Okay? That sent hundreds of millions of dollars, the equivalent of probably trillions today, to the U.S. markets. We saw the Dow Jones Industrials go up 382% between 1932 and 1937. The dollar went up at the same time, very dramatically, and the pressure on gold, even though it was fixed, to go higher mm-hmm. was in- incredible. The American gold American Eagle, the $25 American Eagle at the time, was trading in the black market for $75. Along with a stronger dollar, and the price, black market price of gold had gone up 300%. The pressure on the dollar, as the dollar gained in strength, became even more deflationary for the U.S. economy. That's why Roosevelt devalued the dollar by raising the official price of gold Mm -hmm. because the dollar and the price of gold had rallied so much in the black market, he had no other choice. Mm -hmm. He had to devalue the dollar. And, you know, it can happen, Jay, you can see in an extreme flight to safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all our ugly warts in the United States, for all our problems, yeah. Okay, we are still the bastion of capitalism, the bastion, bastion of free markets, and the bastion of safety to the rest of the world. Yeah, so it, it is very, very possible that dollar and gold and stocks can all go up at the same time. Yeah, I, that's I, what I expect. Yeah, I, I, I thank you for that. I, I think that ma- that all makes a lot of sense. Although, when I think about it, uh, Mr. Putin has a thirteen percent flat tax. That looks awfully good to me as a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know the confiscation you talked to. You said for all of the warts we have. We certainly do. Uh, it, it isn't the America that, that I knew as a young lad in the 1950s and 60s. But mm-hmm. it, is, uh, it, it is definitely going in the wrong direction in my view. But it is what it is. And, and uh, the best thing to do is to try to, to see what it is and then, uh, and then um, adjust your, your living, um, your plans accordingly. Uh, so, so you're of the view, though, that we are very close to a, a bottom if we haven't seen it already in gold. Yes. Uh, why, why do you think now is the time that we can look to get bullish on gold? Because <coughs> well, of this war I cycle? Actually, yeah, the war cycles are overpowering everything. I had been expecting new lows in gold and silver below 1180 mm-hmm. in gold and down around $16, $15 in silver. Mm-hmm. That's what the cycles and my technical work in gold and silver had told me to expect for this year. I was bearish until just recently. I have turned bullish because I have noticed that the trading patterns in gold and silver have changed. Mm -hmm. We are now testing support, rallying off support, building new support levels, rallying a little bit further. And on my technical uh, systems, I haven't received any additional sell signals. The only thing I can attribute that to is the war cycles. And they're the granddaddy of economic cycles. Mm-hmm. And they're overpowering everything right now. And I expect that to continue. So I have put out the recommendation to start getting back into gold market uh, uh, in, in bullion in particular and silver bullion as well. And uh, get your toes wet. I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to get my subscribers out two weeks after the high in September, um, after in September 2011. And uh, I'm telling them to get back in. No, interesting. Uh, you, the war cycle. I have to think of the GoFo rate, which has been uh, extraordinarily uh, negative for an extraordinary length of time. Some uh, people that we've had on our show have been pointing to that, uh, as well as some other things. Another analyst that I talked to recently is pointing to the renewed strength in the platinum group metals, and he's mm-hmm. pointed out that we're seeing platinum group generally leads the uh, leads gold. And then and silver, silver, and then gold. But uh, so, what are your what's your take on silver? You're equally bullish on silver. Uh, yes and no. I tend to favor uh, silver has long term more upside potential than gold. It mm-hmm. can it can go to a hundred, hundred and a quarter. Uh, whereas I think gold will go to five, six thousand over the next uh, several years, mm-hmm. uh, triple, let's say. Uh, but I favor gold over silver because gold is really, a, truly a monetary metal still, whereas yeah. silver is is not a monetary metal. It's more of an industrial metal, and it's also manipulated. Um, it's very volatile. Uh, we're already seeing. I think this is the impact of the war cycles as well. Gold. Uh, gain relative to silver. The Mm -hmm. gold-silver ratio has gone from 51 at the end of last year all the way out to 67 now. Mm -hmm. So gold is gaining over silver. Uh, As far as platinum and palladium goes, absolutely. Very bullish. Uh, They're, you know, very sensitive to the war cycles and they're very sensitive to the current situation uh, where Russia is a major supplier of platinum and palladium. Right. And South Africa is not exactly a great place to to do business these days either. And South Africa as well. And, you know, we're seeing some improvement uh, in South Africa as far as uh, freeing up the economy, et cetera. But it's still, you know, it's still an emerging economy subject to supply disruptions, et cetera. Larry, do you see uh, in in your latest letter or one of your recent letters anyway, you talked about the, uh, uh, the commerce that Europe enjoys with Russia 
and it's making it very difficult for the Europeans to uh, to go along with uh, sanctions and other sort of uh, ideas that the United States would like to propose or like to push harder. Uh, you mentioned England for banking, France for military hardware, Germany and Switzerland, there are lots of trade and especially also mm-hmm. in the financial area. I, I think I heard the other day that uh, Caterpillar lost a $2 billion piece of business, I believe with Russia and mm-hmm. uh, a French uh, or, or some construction, uh, some company in Europe picked up uh, a well-known household name, I can't think of it right now, picked up that business. Uh, there's pressure all over the place, uh, it seems. Do you think there might be a division between Europe and the United States that might occur here? as a result of, of, uh, of these sort of nasty situations? Uh, that's hard. Yeah, it's, that's a very good point, Jay. It's hard to say. Certainly Europe has a lot of, uh, at stake, not only with its multinational companies that are doing business with Russia, but you know, energy-wise, mm-hmm. uh, very, very dependent on natural gas and oil, uh, especially Eastern Europe as far as Russia goes. Hard to say. Uh, I think when push comes to shove, which is really close by, Europe will continue to side with Washington. Yeah. um, Because Europe has so many other problems. (laughs) Yeah. It's really a basket case. And they're really really linked in to us with our financial system as well. I know that there were huge huge, um, uh, swap arrangements that were made with the Fed to uh, the Europeans. And, in fact, some people have been pointing out to the massive amount of, I think it was through Belgium or one of those small countries, have been purchasing a huge amount of treasuries and wondering if some of that swap money isn't coming back and also suppressing the, the treasury markets. So, yeah, I would, right. I would tend to agree would, with you, but, but there's going to be yeah. tremendous pressures. And then I wonder about China, you know, because uh, in some ways it seems as though we're sort of pushing Russia into a, a closer alliance yes. with China, but China would have a lot to lose by splitting off with us, too. So it's, it's sort of hard to see how how these things are going to come out. But I, but I think what you're pointing out is there's just growing economic problems everywhere, which then creates uh, all of these tensions and, and conflicts. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but in my, it's, it's really easy to see going back now and taking a look at, you know, what started as a real estate crisis in 2008-9 in the United States and Europe. You know, the private sector, real estate-based, went busto. That almost took down, you know, the entire financial system. Federal, you know, the Federal Reserve and the federal government, both in uh, Europe and the United States, central banks and uh, federal governments stepped in and basically bailed out the private sector. But they were already bankrupt. The private sector, I mean, the, the federal government, you know, they were already bankrupt. Mm-hmm. The thing is now, Who's going to, nobody at the time, except for a handful of people, said, who's going to bail out, you know, government? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we are now, okay? The, the, the Pied Piper has come home. It, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. When they bailed out the private sector, uh, they boxed themselves into a corner. There's no one around to bail out Washington or Europe, okay? No one. Uh, they can't be bailed out. So things are getting dicey, uh, both uh, with the private sector, raising taxes, et cetera, confiscatory methods, looking to close that gap, and internationally. Um, and, and that's what's, you know, fallen right into the zone for these war cycles. 
Yeah. Interesting uh, you say that because uh, last time we talked to James Rickards on this show, he was pointing out that he says uh, privately some of the high-level Federal Reserve people already know that the Fed's balance sheet is is basically bankrupt if you were to mark Mm -hmm. its assets to market rather than to... uh, fantasy numbers right. and uh and he said he thinks that you know next time we have something really something like a lehman brothers take place if it does that the only balance sheet that will be left that will have that will be solvent would be the imf and he thinks that there could that would be a time for a reset Yes. of the financial system he really seems to believe it's almost a foregone conclusion and it is and, and not to make any you know i mean these things happen from time to time i'm old enough to remember it was a young man i remember it very clearly august 15th 1971 when richard nixon took us off the gold standard and uh you know the international gold standard and so that was a major turning point that i think freed up for all of this nonsense and all this tremendous amount of indebtedness and solvency and all kinds of social issues that occurred i think we would have a more balanced world uh, probably geopolitically if it hadn't been for that i think we would have a more egalitarian income distribution in the united states as well but uh do you, what are your thoughts on that i know you have some thoughts about currency reset well you know the rules of the game have to be changed. We have to go back to the drawing board. We can no longer have a global economy that's based on a pyramid of debt. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and you know the global economy is involved in such an extent that we now—it's no longer just the United States, England, and and and, and Russia. Yeah. Um, you know, we have China. We have uh, emerging markets uh, and BRICS all over the place. We have to give these people. A, a legitimate role in the monetary system. So, you know, there's a, I can, there's a laundry list of reasons why we have to sit down and have a new Bretton Woods, so to speak, and come up with a new monetary system. Mm-hmm. And it should not be debt-based, and it should not be solely based on one single reserve currency such as the U.S. dollar. Okay, it has to be a neutral reserve currency, um, sort of an international reserve currency, my best bet is uh, to to tie it to a basket of commodities. Mm-hmm. Let everyone keep their own currency for sovereign reasons, you know, pride, etc. Uh, but you're going to have to have a single international currency that everything goes through uh, to become a firewall for the system. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it has. You know, the sooner the better, in my opinion. But unfortunately, this probably won't happen until somewhere around 2022 or so, after the war cycles have peaked and 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 destroyed the entire global economy. Yeah. Well, that's that's a, that's a very happy note. Well, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I'm afraid that, you're that, right about that. Uh, that that's the way these things go, Jay. You know, yeah. I'm just being realistic. I yeah. do believe that on the other side of this war cycles and the crisis, ongoing crisis and the tunnel we're going through, there is light and it's not an uncommon train. We can get to a better world. One of the things I personally think we should do is, believe it or not, you know, some people think I'm crazy for this, but we should look at Sharia law and Islamic banking Mm -hmm. where debt is forbidden. Mm -hmm. Okay. Indonesia and Malaysia have a banking system where debt is forbidden. You want to buy a home in in Malaysia, the bank doesn't lend you the money, okay, because they're not permitted by Sharia law, but they become a partner. Uh They give you the money, and they're an equity partner in that property. They Mm -hmm. share in the downside as well as the upside. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, that uh, maybe we need to take some lessons from you know some things that are out there uh, and, and come up with a really good new monetary system. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could. I, I in the, on the uh, financial side, I, I think Sharia law sounds good to me as as a gold guy, a guy that believes that we should have, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. But on the other hand, some of the other things about uh, Sharia law, I'm not so sure. But well, of course, the, but the, you know, there, there's there's the, yeah. I'm not saying embracing the whole thing. I'm just saying we need to think out of the box. Of, yeah, I, I don't disagree, and I think that's probably, as you say, unfortunately, we we'll probably have to go through this war cycle and some very unpleasant things. So the question then, Larry, is how do we get through that? And I, I guess that's what you're trying to do in your newsletter, what all of us are trying to do in a way. Those of us that see big problems arising, and I think the majority of people don't see it because I think the majority of people basically rely on the mainstream media to tell them what's going on, and they just, yes, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, If you have a Harvard, Princeton, or Yale PhD, well, you must know what you're talking about. Let's just uh, buy that idea. And so <laughs> most people aren't ready. Uh, I mean, you, uh, you, you have, uh, uh, as an Ivy League grad, have managed somehow to to escape that uh, that box yeah. that they would put most Ivy League grads in and most people in. But uh, so gold, you think is is one place. But you would say so. Your ideal portfolio now, you'd want to own some stocks. You'd want to stay as far away from bonds as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably private sector debt as well, for the most part, I would imagine. But mm-hmm. especially, yep. uh, you would want to, um, uh, as I say, gold gold shares and silver. I suppose some silver shares as well. I know mm-hmm. that you you've turned very bullish on the on the mining sector. I would think that, and you said you're not worried about hyperinflation, which is a good thing because, in my view, the best environment <clears throat> for gold mining a lot of times is a disinflationary, a deflationary environment where your costs are going down, or your right. or the, the price of the metal is is rising relative to your cost of getting it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. I do. Yeah, so so if you're seeing, uh, so you're ver- you're turning very bullish on on gold and gold shares and silver. Uh, I know that you, for your clients, you've put out, you have some select gold mining companies uh, that you uh, provide to them. You also, in your most recent missive, put out some household name gold mining companies that everybody knows about. I don't think those are the ones necessarily mm-hmm. that that you are telling your uh, your subscribers about, but. Tell me, what kind of things are you looking for in uh, the mining companies? And are you looking at producers, larger companies? Are you looking at exploration companies? What are you looking for? I'm looking mostly at producers right now, uh-huh. a handful of explorers. The thing is, <clears throat> you know, many mining companies took on way too much debt at the top of the market three years ago, mm-hmm. figuring the sky is the limit, you know, as far as gold prices go. And they did not anticipate the three-year bear market in in the precious metals. So they got saddled down with a lot of debt. Interest rates are starting to rise now, which is going to make it more difficult for them to service that debt. Other, you know, major uh, mining companies have have considered and some have actually started hedging the precious metals again. Yeah. At the absolute worst time, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you you know, you got to be very, very selective uh, let me put it this way. The number of mining companies that I'll actually be looking at and recommending this time around compared to 14 years ago at the beginning of the bull markets in gold and silver is probably one-tenth of what really? it was. Yeah. yeah. Very selective. I'd, I'd say 80 90% uh, have not passed the, uh, the muster of my radar screens this time around. Well, certainly. So I'm going to be very selective. 
Yeah, certainly we've had we've had this bull market in gold that started in the early 2000s, and that has that has increased the number of producers uh, that and potential producers from where they were back then. I think you would agree with that probably. Mm-hmm. But at the yep. same time, as you say, a lot of them have been very reckless, sort of counting on yep. endlessly rising gold prices and not watching their costs. Uh, well, that I think that's a very good advice, Larry. I, th- I think you're obviously on to something here. Uh, how can people learn more about your service and, and how can they avail themselves to it? Well, the best way is to go to the moneyandmarkets.com website, mm-hmm. my publisher's main website, where you'll see information on my publications as well as my colleagues. Mm-hmm. That's moneyandmarkets.com, www.moneyandmarkets.com. Yeah, and from there, then they can pick up on your service and right. that of, of the others. And I would say to my listeners, I really do enjoy the Money and Markets publication. It uh, comes out; it's free. It is a sort of an infomercial, I would say, but it's a very, uh, it's one that gives you a lot of valuable information at the same time. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate Larry you coming on with us today to talk to us and and providing oh, I your insights. You having me, Jay. Thank really, you. really good to talk to, you, and I hope we can do it sometime again in the not too distant future. Sure, whenever you'd like. Love to. Thank you very much, Jake. Thank you, Larry. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. Uh, Well, I hope that you found my discussion with Larry Edelson interesting and informative. Uh, anyone, however, in their right mind cannot be happy about the prospects for a rise in the war cycle. And that is something that Larry uh, talked about uh, that you just heard from him in a few minutes ago. And I might mention that it is also uh, a belief that Charles Nanner has based on his cycles work that we are heading towards another major war cycle. And this is a 53.2 year cycle that Larry talked about. 
Certainly Daniel McAdams, who you will hear from uh, in the next hour, is doing all he can as part of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity to try to stop wars. But it is my view that these cycles are really beyond the control of us mere mortals. Quite frankly, I believe our Creator is in charge, and, and that gives me a certain amount of comfort on the one hand, but on the other hand, it doesn't mean that we won't have to face some extremely difficult times ahead in the in the uh, near future, I'm afraid. But if we can have a, 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 um, a sense of the troubles that lie ahead, as we certainly did, the readers of my newsletter did in 2000, before 2008, 2009, then we are in a much better position to weather the storm than if we are clueless about the impending disasters. And of course, clueless is what the mainstream wants us to be. We are just about out of time for this uh, first hour, but go immediately to jtaylormedia.com to listen to Axel Merck, uh, who will also be joining me, and he will provide some evidence that the dollar is in the process of losing its reserve status. And David Jensen will also be with me in the second hour at J. Taylor Media. Uh, he will have some very interesting and important things to tell us about gold, uh, the GOFO rate, and the events in Dubai, as he noted, um, and that there are some real interesting things taking place there. Not uh, he draws a parallel with the blood, blood diamonds, and um, uh, De Beers' desire to keep uh, competition away from the diamond-producing uh, markets. And Daniel McAdams, as I, I noted, will be with us uh, again to give us an update on what is really happening in the Ukraine, as opposed to what the American propaganda machine is telling us is going on. I do want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible, the first hour of today's show. And now I want to remind you to go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, to hear the second half of today's show. I'll see you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE Market Listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE Listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. 